Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and I'm here to interview women who are on their entrepreneurial journey and getting the skinny on how they are thriving and where they struggle in business and life. Join us as we start liberating dreams, one episode at a time. So we are crazy excited (laughs) to be launching the first episode of Liberty Sessions and thought it'd be a good idea to tell you a little bit about your host, that's me, and why we're here. So for today's episode, Elizabeth Wyndham, or Beth, as we call her around here, hello, our producer extraordinaire, will be asking me questions on why I launched Liberty and how we hope to support you in this process. So let's do this, Beth. Hello, everyone. Netta and I have been spending many hours dreaming, strategizing, and laughing (laughs) in preparation for the launch of Liberty Sessions. We are so excited to be here. So without further ado, let's get to know Netta. Netta, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? All right, I'll start with the basics. Um, I'm a mom to three, a 13-year-old girl, an 11-year-old boy, and a 9-year-old boy. I'm a wife to a modern-day Jimmy Stewart. He's awesome. I'm the oldest of four. Uh, I've got some three awesome, awesome siblings. And the daughter of two amazing people who actually immigrated uh, from Egypt with me in tow. I was a two-year-old. Um, and they came here to give their children the American dream. So talk about the entrepreneurial spirit. I, I just inherited that. Wow. I feel like that is a future episode where we're going to unpack <laughs> that relationship between your parents immigrating and your entrepreneurial spirit. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. Why don't you tell us how you got here professionally? So let me go back to college to kind of lay the groundwork. Um, my degree was in communications, and my dream was to work for a luxury fashion brand. Uh, as a marketing or PR guru. I was hoping to be Donna, Ralph, or Calvin's right hand. Uh, Now keep in mind that was in the early 90s. For all of you who don't know who those people are, Google it. Um, I started my corporate career in New York City, uh, marketing a jewelry line, later a cosmetic brand, then moved to the agency side and worked for a PR company, uh, which moved me out to Boulder, Colorado. I then ended up in Washington, D.C., where I took uh, what was to be my last corporate job as the director of marketing for the nation's leading arbitration and mediation company. A far cry from fashion, um, but it was a really important career-building opportunity for me. And that company ended up merging with a West Coast company, so that's how I landed out here in L.A. And... During that stint, I got a little restless for something that utilized more of me. I felt like the that again that marketing side was was what I was able to exercise, but that I was really looking for something um, more. And so I decided to forge a new path, uh, one that took into consideration my strengths, my talents, and my interests. So today that doesn't seem unusual, but I assume that entrepreneurial path was not a typical one. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, It wasn't. In fact, when I look at my friends and peers today, I realize just how fringe I was. Um, Most of them took a much more traditional path as a lawyer, uh, or as lawyers rather, professors, corporate executives, stay-at-home mothers. 
And they're all badasses, um, and they're doing great things. But their trajectory had a clear path. Um, Whereas mine, I was kind of making it up as I went. There wasn't a lot of role models out there, and so I felt a little like I was on my own. Hmm. So what exactly did this job need to entail for you? Yeah, another good question, Beth Windham. Um, I wasn't exactly sure, but um, there was a quote that I've heard recently that I wish I had had back then. It's by um, Diane von Furstenberg, and I think many of you probably heard it. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew the woman I wanted to become, and I think that is precisely what I was dealing with. I knew I knew the things I wanted to be experiencing, the life I wanted to be leading, um, and the things that were important to me. Uh, at that time, I had the pleasure of hearing Anita Roddick, who was the founder of The Body Shop. And she was talking about um, telling her story and how she started The Body Shop. And it became the standard for what I wanted to build. For those, who do, you, for those of you who don't know Anita, um, in the 90s, the body shop was what um, is probably like Tom's today. Um, it was a natural beauty brand with a conscience. Again, not unusual today, but she was a disruptor back then. She merged a beauty product with educating the public about the need for no animal testing. She was educating us about the indigenous people that we were affecting um, through some of the products that we were buying, uh, specifically in the cosmetic industry. And um, I was really turned on uh, by this social impact example. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have that language back then. So for me, that was that was one of the first times I had heard or seen, more importantly, something like that. There's a great quote. I'm probably going to butcher this, but I think it's Miriam Wright Edelman. And she says, you can't, um, you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. Or something like that. And uh, I absolutely believe that. Being able to see that was um, gave me a point of reference, something to reach for and some context. So the trick was combining marketing, um, I love building brands, uh, business, and having a social impact. Naturally, I thought I'd be working in developing countries with entrepreneurial women, some sort of micro-enterprise. The problem was those were not the doors that were opening. That must have been so frustrating. Did you feel like giving up? It was definitely frustrating, and I think I was confused because um, I knew I didn't want to. I knew I didn't want to work for somebody else. I didn't want to help somebody else achieve their dreams, not in a selfish way, but um, I knew that I wanted to spend my time working on my dream Mm -hmm. and what I wanted to be pursuing. Um, And practically speaking. This meant, you know, part-time jobs. It meant doing whatever I had to do to sustain what I now believed was a calling. It was no longer just, um, oh, I, you know, a, a fancy or a dalliance. It was like, I really believe that this is the work I'm called to, and now yeah. I just have to shape it somehow. Mm-hmm. So how did you go from part-time jobs to starting your first business and co-authoring a book with a major publisher, Asking for a Friend? Yeah, so keep in mind that was a 20-year process, and so I'm going to try and answer it in a few short um, sentences, but just just bear in mind how long it actually took. So my first business was launched in my late 20s. I had the opportunity to go to Prague. 
the U.S. had opened uh, import-export relations with the Eastern Bloc, and I went over there looking for a group of women who were doing something cool. Um, I found some artisans who were blowing glass, decided to bring their um, handcrafted glass-blown wares to the United States, and it was great. I was selling in Barney's. I was selling at Gump's. I was selling in a lot of local boutiques um, along Melrose, and a year later, they actually decided to establish a U.S. headquarters um, in the United States. Interesting. They kindly asked if I would like to um, be their rep, but I really, I really didn't want to work for somebody. And so I was kind of back to square one. Mm. Um, my second business, oh, which was called Ned and Shell, which was an online style co-op. I started that with my friend and former college roommate, and the goal was um, to take our business marketing and buying experience collectively to support emerging female designers. We were in New York City. We knew a lot of women um, from back in our college days who were fashion designers, beauty product designers, um, houseware designers, Mm -hmm. and we said, hey, what if we allowed them to really focus on their creative craft and we created an online platform where we could retail their products. Mm. Mind blow back then. Yeah. Um, there was no GoDaddy. It was very expensive. This is 1999. It was very expensive to um, cobble up a website. And no one was really sure if you were going to be able to sell from that website. Yeah. Um, we used it more as like a almost a landing page, a marketing page. So essentially we sold real estate on mm-hmm. Net and Shell. So there were these mini boutiques, um, virtual boutiques. And we told the stories of these women and their backgrounds. We had something called a Magalog, which was half magazine, half catalog. And two years into that, um, with much success actually, um, we were able to launch a wholesale division. And we took our top sellers to market. Um, that meant that we were getting them in stores like Anthropology and Nordstrom and Barney's and Bloomingdale's and Bendel's, all the bees. Um, and then nine years of that, I ended up moving out west. Um, my partner stayed out east. I had three babies. She had two. And we decided that it was time to kind of wind down Ned and Shell. Um, it was a happy ending. We're still very awesome friends we try our families travel together sometimes but um we didn't want to just put a stop to it we wanted to tie it up in a pretty bow and we had had so many stories um of women who had had success and hadn't had success so it made sense to tie this bow up with a book yeah so we approached mcgraw hill um with a book proposal and um, much to our surprise, they said yes, and pretty quickly, and that does not happen very often. And I think in today's climate, it's even more rare. You almost have to have an online, you know, uh, social media platform yeah. before a publisher will look at you. So we were very um, fortunate in that way. And so we launched 16 Weeks to Your Dream Business with um, the blessing um, and distribution of McGraw-Hill. And that was awesome. Just a little shout out. We were a best-selling Amazon business book. And that was a great process, not just writing the book, but also after the book, um, 
there were all these opportunities to speak and to do seminars. And um, that sort of led me to believe that I wasn't done with this space, mm-hmm. um, that I really wanted to continue to be connecting with and creating opportunities for entrepreneurial women. So um, I began a consulting business. Mm-hmm. And along with that, I launched LTD Live, which was a conference bringing together speakers, workshops, um, resources with the entrepreneurial women that needed them. Um, we did that for two years, uh, sold out both years. It was out of the box a success. Our third year, we did an online conference. Um, and then I took a little time off for family reasons. We traveled around the country. And it was on that trip that I realized just how fortunate I was to be able to do that, that I could leave my day-to-day job, still have a job when I returned. Um, I could take consultant, uh, consulting calls on the phone while I was traveling. Um, and I realized that kind of that liberation was something I wanted to share with other women, um, the benefits of, and kind of tell them, you can do this too. This is this is available for you. So that kind of brings me to today and, um, and the launch of Liberty. Several years ago, I started thinking of this brand, Liberty, and how I wanted to create something for a national audience. Um, and here we are, Beth. Your your story um, about your career is very interesting because I feel like that every step that you've gone and every decision you've taken has built hmm. um, upon each other. Yeah. And so it's really exciting to, one, I've gotten to know you since you've been pursuing the launch of Liberty. So it's, it's good to hear that background yeah. um, and to see what a solid foundation you have in order to launch this new venture. So tell me why the name Liberty? Yeah, it's it's funny. The name didn't have, I think, the same impact a few years ago when I thought of the name and had been working on the brand and what what is this? What's the what what is it that we're creating? What kind of organization? But since the um even pre-election, it's funny how it's just taken on so much more meaning, yeah. regardless of who you voted for or what side you're on. This this concept of what does it mean to be a feminist? What does it mean to be liberated? What does it mean to um, be an example for your daughters? I mentioned I have a 13-year-old daughter and for my two sons as mm-hmm. a woman. So the name means more to me now than ever. But I think what I was thinking back then is I realized that there was – um, a group of women who, for them, liberation hadn't been realized, mm. and that um, perhaps it could be through pursuing a passion or finding financial flexibility, I mean, financial freedom or flexibility of schedule, and that those things are liberating things. Um, and so it was just fitting. And I, I happen to know a girl named Liberty, too. And I thought there was something sweet about, oh, it's actually a, a girl's name. Yeah. Um, so it was it was the perfect name for me. I think it's a perfect name, too. And um, I'm just excited to see that name be actualized in yeah. the stories that we tell. Amen. And just even hearing the stories from women who have listened to the podcast episodes. Yeah. So... Obviously, liberty has been in your heart and in your mind for quite some time. Why are you choosing to launch liberty now? 
Yeah. So again, when I started, let's go to kind of Ned and Shell days. Um, we were still women in entrepreneurship still seemed unusual. And I think uh, if we look at the millennials today, I'm so impressed with their ability to think outside of the box and to be um, so receptive to the idea of being entrepreneurial. And that could be cobbling up several um, freelance jobs. Mm -hmm. That could be actually starting a business. Um, I think for my generation, it meant two things. It meant you were raising VC money up in Silicon Valley, and it was perhaps a tech company, or um, you were d doing something, some little piddly craft thing that no one was taking seriously. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't like that dialogue. I didn't yeah. like what was coming of that um, for women who were not millennial and couldn't see past those two things. So I wanted to create something for really the Gen Xer um, who is exactly in this time in life where her kids are in school for the most part. She's um, making decisions about what now, what next, um, what, what else do I have to do, what is important to me, what is of value. And I wanted to give her examples because most of the examples that are out there are these adorable girls and their women in their 20s and even early 30s who have a top knot and are like primmed and polished and or is it primmed? Primed. Prim. 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 Yeah. Prim yeah, and prim. polished. There you go. Um, we're here to give you grammar and spelling lessons, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, and I wanted to, going back to that initial quote, I wanted to give women something to see so that they could believe that they could become that. And I think that's why now it was so evident to me that there was this huge growth, this huge spurt, um, a lot of energy around women entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. but not for those women, um, not for that demographic. And then the other thing is while we are growing at record pace, we are outpacing men in opening businesses two to one, mm. but we are also failing at record pace. And that is not because we're not smart enough. It's not because we're not capable. It's not because we're not willing to take risks. It's, I believe, simply because we don't have the resources um, and the knowledge. And when we know better, we do better. And the hope with all things Liberty, beginning with Liberty Sessions, is that through hearing another woman's story, it will expedite your ability to move along on your trajectory and it will also teach you about things to look out for and some balls to dodge along the way. You are so awesome. <laughs> well, thank you, Beth. <laughs> I am so excited for women to hear these stories and to learn from all these different interviews and from you because I feel like Thanks. you have just a reservoir mm. of wisdom to share. Um, so there's this song that I really like. Yes. Whenever there's a moment to celebrate, I sing or dance to yes, it. Yes, I've heard this and song in the office. This <laughs> is how we do it. <laughs> so I was thinking we could have a little segment for our Liberty Session episodes about uh, getting a nitty-gritty detail about how you have done something in your entrepreneurial journey. I think... One thing I constantly hear 
in correlation to um, women who are working and who want a family is this uh, narrative of having it all. Hmm. And I think it's an uh, unnecessary pressure put on women to be perfect in their pursuit of um, their own dreams. Um, so I kind of want to flip that question okay. and ask you, what have you sacrificed in order to, you know, be the entrepreneur that you are? Because, um, I mean, I think you have an amazing life, mm. but there's probably some things that you've had to let go in order to sure. live the way that you live. Sure. Um, that's a great question, and it's an important question. And when I work with my consulting clients, some of the questions I ask them about both their life and their business get down to this point. There are things we have to say no to, and we hear this all the time, right? Say no to these things so you can say yes to these things. But the reality is there's something very um, important uh, and meaningful about that exercise because the things you say yes to are more weighty, they're more meaty, and they're the things you can't say no to. Yeah. So I, what have I sacrificed? I've probably sacrificed having a perfectly clean house all the time. I grew up in an impeccable home, um, and I don't have that. I heard a joke at one time where a woman said, you could eat off my kitchen floor, and then she chuckled and said, no, literally, you could eat off the floor. There's, <laughs> there's so much food on the floor. And I think there are moments like that. Um, so there are things about the way I thought my life would look that I have sacrificed. I don't always have time to go shopping with my girlfriends yeah. or, you know, or grab coffee on a whim. I have um, I have to keep a schedule and I'm very protective of my family time. So there are sacrifices surely along the way. Um, and it's a matter of blocking those things and saying, OK, this time is dedicated for this. And this time is dedicated to this. Um, I'm not at all a slave to the scale. I don't really believe in this concept of work-life balance, um, maybe holistically, but not on a day-to-day. -day. Yeah. Um, there are days and sometimes weeks, especially when I was launching the conference, where there was a lot of pizza in my house, and I was in a you know closed home office. I was home, but I was behind closed doors for days. Um, at a time and my husband really had to play mom and dad um, and conversely there have been moments where I could take a couple weeks off or just kind of work part time mm -hmm. um, so that I could be more available for my children whether they were sick or just had it was a crazy schedule or we were going on vacation um, and so I've I've given myself a lot of grace in that area, and I think there are a lot of women who could stand um, a dose of that grace. Yeah, thank you so much for being so honest with us yeah. about your story. Absolutely. Um, do you have any parting thoughts that you want to leave with us? Parting thoughts. Um, gosh, there are so many things I'd like to say, but I, I'm I'm so chatty that I'll try and sum it up. Why Why did we launch Liberty? What are we trying to give to you? And there's a great quote by Melinda Gates. Um, 
And she says a woman with a voice is by definition a strong woman. But the search to find that voice can be remarkably difficult. And I think in a nutshell, Liberty is here to help you find that voice Mm -hmm. and to make it less difficult. So that's what I'll leave you with. Amazing. (laughs) Please join us. We want to hear your voices. Yeah, we do. Please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Liberty For Her. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and yours truly, Elizabeth Wyndham. And music is by Jordan Flower. We hope to hear from you soon. And please stay tuned. Share with your lady friends, right. your co-workers, Shout it out. your family members. And we will be bringing an uh, episode to you soon. That's right. Liberty out. Woo! <laughs> Bye.